What's good, everyone? It's the Puerto Rican Powerhouse of Might for Hire, the podcast mercenary Christian Joel Ramos, back at it again with a brand new review. And today we're covering the All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view revolution uh, in March 2021. So let's get this started. Uh, I watched the buy-in before I watched the main event, obviously, and there's a bunch of recaps of everything that was occurring, but essentially it led up to a uh, what was supposed to be Rebel and Brent versus Thunder Rosa and Rio for a tag match. But Rebel got hurt in training previously. So she came out in a crutch and she's like not been medically cleared. And Brent made a big deal about it. Like she's a medical professional and saying, you know, uh, I got the uh, AW doctor to agree, agree with me that she's not medically cleared. So guess what? Ergo, she cannot compete. We have a substitute. And who is Brent's substitute? Out of nowhere, no one expected this to happen. Maki Ito, the fired idol, Ito-chan, came out and started singing her theme song, and the crowd popped. I'm like, it was such a surprise, genuine surprise, because we just saw the AW Women's Tournament, and we thought the Japan bracket happened not that long ago, meaning don't they have to like quarantine due to the current pandemic and all that stuff no apparently um it might have been a pre pre-tape and they probably were here the whole time that's what i'm assuming maybe they were here for the last two weeks and yes it was filmed over there maybe it happened previously like a pre-tape you know somehow they do some of the shows aren't always live live they just film ahead so that's what i'm assuming happened but yeah it was great to see ito chan and um brit team together they were pretty good together i was actually caught off guard because She's very, uh, her Joshi style is very much like tongue-in-cheek, like she's purposely trolling all of her opponents. That's her style and what she does. Versus uh, Britt, who's also kind of a troll, but she's more menacing heel than jokey heel. So it's great to see them going off each other. And it started off with, uh, I believe, a lockup with a collar and a lockup with Rio and Britt, back and forth with Rosa and Maki Ito, and you know, a lot of same usual, uh, it was a standard wrestling match, nothing uh obscenely crazy or over the top except you know the kokeshi the falling headbutt from makito is definitely something to see because she's got she's known to have a hard ass head like she has a big old head so that's one of her like uh, key features about her wrestling style and from what i've seen from videos on youtube she's very much a standard wrestler meaning that she has a lot of uh grappling and just knows how to work but for her character she's just over to she's like almost like a you know, J-pop version of Harley Quinn in a way. That's, that's, that's what she looks like to me. Like, she looks very over the top, dressed in a sailor suit, or I think it's a sailor suit, or something of the sort. And she's just there, seeing, uh, living <laughs> this diva life she loves of just being this superstar uh, fired uh, idol. So, because she used to be an idol years ago with this troop, and they kicked her out. It's a whole thing. And yeah, it was definitely fun, and it ended up with... Rebel interfering with the crutch as she hit Rosa on the head when the ref wasn't looking, and Britt got the pin one, two, three at the Rosa, and that was that. So, standard match. It had nothing really crazy. It didn't go too long. I'd say it's a good four out of five stars right there off the bat. Very solid match. And yeah, Riho did, did some cool moves. Uh, she, uh, when she was fighting back she did some cartwheels to like uh avoid evade attacks from uh, from brit and um when it came to thunder rosa against uh maki apparently they had history together. i forgot that they actually had history together in japan because it's something that it kind of like slipped my mind because i knew about this information but it didn't come to mind at the moment until after i saw it so yeah it was fun it was definitely something to, to uh, get the, definitely the crowd riled up for the show that's coming so 
From that, we move on to where JR is on commentary, and he sounds horrendous. His voice just sounds like he is definitely sick, or like he's just recovering from uh, laryngitis or something, because his voice does not sound, he does not sound 100%. So I hope he got well soon, get some honey lemon tea in that, because you need your voice for your job, sir. That's, that was, I would have just brought in anybody. I would have brought in uh, Shivani or whoever else, Marvez even at that point. No, okay, maybe not Marvez, but you know what I mean. You would have just gotten a substitute. I know you need JR as the voice of the pay-per-view, but... For just for the buying, I would have just said, you know what, sit this one out for a little bit and see if your voice is better in an hour when we get to the actual show or whatnot. And yeah, he powered through it, man, like a soldier. The guy definitely knows he's very much all business, doesn't care. He's going to power through it, and that's his style. And later on, his voice does get better. It just sounded like he just needed some water real bad. <laughs> so the first match we get is Jericho and MJF uh, versus the Young Bucks for the AEW tag belts. This feud, I feel like it's a little bit rushed. When you do a uh, crimson mask on your on the opponent's parent, uh, dad and, and make a big spectacle, this sounds like build-up that should have happened in weeks, not like two weeks. I'm saying weeks, multiple weeks. It wasn't enough build to, be, to really have the animosity and anger because it didn't feel all that angry. So at that point, I'm like, okay, this is going to be cool and all. I know it's going to be a spot fest because not just because it's the Young Bucks. It's, it's the matter of the what occurred wasn't exactly... Um, yeah, what occurred is essentially that it's not even all that, um, it, it happened too quickly for me. I feel like they should have really built this up a little bit more just before you put in a giant pay-per-view because everything else on this card had months of build. And this almost came out of the blue, like, all right, what's MGF and Jericho doing next? Oh, we're going to troll the Young Bucks, beat up their dad, and get them riled up for the, so they're definitely like not focused as we were trying to beat him for the tag builds but it, it was all right i mean i i enjoyed the spots there's you know there's animosity at all time high nick and uh nick did a double did like take down jericho start things off and matt with his own on mjf uh, they went outside did outside the ring stuff uh young bucks collided outside with the uh team of Jericho and MJF so we got back in the ring and back and forth followed by offense from the Young Bucks again MJF sets up Nick to get attacked by Wardlow because Wardlow's outside ringside as always because he's the muscle uh heater of the team um Jericho and MJF mock the Young Bucks by doing their pose just to troll them but uh, you get a low bridge by Nick Jackson by to, uh, by Wardlow because he gets thrown out I believe Nick has his standard hot tag comeback where he's he's Nick Jackson. This guy's like Spider-Man. This goes around and he just does his thing. And he's just in there like swimwear. And he's just doing what Nick Jackson does, which is uh, defying gravity, essentially. Uh, so with the comeback, we got MJF with a kick out from, from a destroyer. I, I'm one person who has a complaint about the destroyer becoming something basic. It used to be the most badass looking finisher of all time. And I think the industry has... Be, turned it into the DDT where it used to be a crazy finish and you know finishing move and now it's just like done in between matches or your super kicks like I kind of wish the story was treated with a little bit more intensity as far as like this thing will put you out it is not so much a, a setup move it should be a finisher still Petey Williams did not make this damn move for it to be a setup it is the finisher in my opinion I, that's just me though so we get a lot of back and forth again with these two teams. MJF is pissed off because he's young and hot-blooded. The commentary made sure to actually talk about that. And 
does the Billy Gunn suck a chance trolling the Bucks. I don't know why, because if it was Cody, that would make more sense because the Gunn family, I mean, the Gunn Club are part of the Nightmare family. So it just kind of like, okay, they're just trying to troll DX or something. Like he's saying, suck it, suck it. Like you, you can't do it on TV, so you got to do the pay-per-view. I, I don't know. It was just like kind of like lame duck shit. Like if you're trying to be a heel, at least mock them, but don't use someone else's uh, poses to mock uh, someone else who's not even like... That's not him. That's not the, you know, that's not the, uh, the gun club. That isn't Austin, Colton, or Billy. Like, why do you, why are you even, like, doing that? I don't know. It, it just threw me off a bit. Uh, Jericho comes out with Floyd, his bat. MJF with a heat seeker. Uh, I think I was on Nick. Uh, Jericho hits a Judas effect on Wardlow by accident. I didn't see that coming. And, oh, my gosh. And I don't think Wardlow saw it coming either. <laughs> As he was at ringside trying to distract the ref, and he got his ass whooped. Uh, we get a BTE trigger on Jericho by the Bucks. Super kick party at MJF. And then the finisher with a Meltzer driver on Jericho for the win. So they pin Jericho one, two, three, and it's, that sets up a story afterwards where they're like, "Hey, we're gonna have an inner circle war council on Dynamite. I can't wait to see what this leads to if they're gonna break up or not." Obviously, it's been oh, more than a week since the show happened. So on Dynamite, there was that a uh, breakup between Jericho and MJF, and that was something to see for sure. So yeah, that was this match. Uh, I think it was pretty cool because I. It was a lot of spots. Don't get me wrong. But the psychology was not lack thereof because there was. With Jericho, you always think of psychology no matter what because he is a good storyteller in ring. And so is MJF, who's a good, I guess, um, not pupil of Jericho, but I guess you can call protege. There we go. But of course, he was playing his cards right. He was playing the cocky heel who got angry quick because he's young blood and hot blooded. So yeah, it definitely made them seem like, you know, old vet, young guy, not seeing eye to eye. And they end up losing the tag match. And we all know what happened. They ended up breaking up on the next episode of Dynamite. So that's for sure. Next up, we got the Casino Tag Team Royale. This was something different. I love Battle Royales. I'm a huge fan of WWE Royal Rumble. Everyone knows this. I always talk about this in the podcast. So when this happened, I was like, all right, bet. Let's get this started. So we start off with Team 1, the National Nightmares, against Team 2, the team of the Dark Orders, number 5 and number 10. You know, that team we know of. Uh, good tag team tandem between both teams at first. Just a lot of the usual stuff from both from Natural Nightmares and Dark Order. Nothing uh, out of the ordinary, no, no, no special tricks out of their hats just yet. Uh, number three, we get Proud and Powerful rushing in to get a fence on five. Uh, QT takes out five. There we go. And then the fourth team is the Seidel brothers, Matt and Mike Seidel, and they attack. And they go on the attack. They don't even like pose or anything. Just music hits and just speeding in the ring. They're like, all right, so you got, I think it was Matt doing a Meteor and Ortiz, and they just just throw hands i don't know how to say it, it just got really uh it, it went to 0 100 real quick uh team five is uno and Stu. um then we see mike sudden getting taken out by uh proud and powerful at number six we get the uh combination of the gun club of austin and colton the brothers and they're looking great i mean the time they're putting in aw dark is definitely showing because they did some great drop kicks on uno and a quick draw on Stu. so that was like okay that was like smooth there wasn't any hiccups there it was just went in there and they knew what they were going to do just go to work uh we get a spear in austin here who gets taken out was blindsided matt said i'll take it gets taken out like out of the equation so he's thrown out outside the ring uh team number seven is avalon and cesar bernoni peter avalon cesar bernoni uh this is one of my favorite little teams because they remind me so much of the twins like movies twins like comedy where arnold schwarzenegger and dan devito are like quote unquote twins that were 
um, I don't know if they're separated at birth. I haven't seen the movie in years, but there was, they were essentially twins that one got all the good genes and one got all the bad genes. That's exactly what this scene reminds me of. And even Cesar Bernoulli uh, retweeted or liked my tweet about that reference and I put a gif on, on it when I was talking about it. So yeah, that was cool to uh, get a little shout out there. Um, number 18 was Varsity Blonde. Then we see Austin Gunn taking out Peter Avalon with a famous surge, like his dad's finisher, and right there, that's pretty cool, like, shout out. Colton does a famous surge well in Cesar Bernoni, so we get QT to take some all out, apparently, his own guys, I'm like, this setting up some QT heel shit, because we know that this is happening from the Sammy vlogs, and how he's acting a little bit uh, indifferent because of how Lee Johnson, Big Shot Elite, did not shout him out when his thank yous when he won his first, his first match in Dynamite, and in the back, he's there, like, you know, mean mugging, like, wait a minute, you forgot me, your trainer, really? You congrat you thank everyone but me. So you got this salty version of QT who's just like, I'm out of this. And he, and what does this lead to? He eliminates himself. He's like, you know what? I'm out. Peace out. Take care, guys. And Dustin looks pissed, like, what the hell are you doing? Um, so at number nine, you got Bear Country, the big boys from upstate New York. And um, you got Stu getting eliminated by Bear Country right at the bat. Number 10 comes in, we get Jurassic Express. Uh, Jungle Boy eliminates Ortiz, Luchasaurus and only eliminates saves everyone in Griff. Uh, Jungle Boy takes out Santana. We got Uno's limited it badly. Butcher and Blade, I'm pretty sure uh, Brian Pillman Jr. is taken out here, but I didn't write it down. I don't know where it happened. Uno's limited ba is eliminated badly, meaning that Uno was taken out, right? And he was nowhere near the post. He It looked like he literally ran towards the post because he was too far away. Instead of just slipping out, he just almost like cartoonily hit himself in the, with the post and then fall. Like this, kind of, this is like, you know, basic uh, wrestling 101. If you're too far away for that, you can do the trip fall, but just, it's too far for the, to, it almost looked like he was trying to hit himself. Like I would've just wiped out right there. Just do it quick and easy. Don't make a big show of it because it definitely became a gift of a moment in a bad way. And like, come on, you know, you're a pro at this. You've been doing this a long time. Come on now, let's, let's clean up our, our messes here. At 11, we got Butcher and Blade. Coming in, Jack Evan takes out 10. Butcher and Blade take out Dustin. What a, what a twist of events there. Uh, we got Private Party uh, coming in at 12. And they're, they're just taking their sweet time to get the ring. At number 13, SCU. And then we got the Bears taken out by Luchasaurus. Butcher takes out both Bears right after. At 14, we got Death Triangle for, uh, with Pack and Phoenix. They take out Blade and Quint, uh, Quinn, Mark Quinn, there we go. Uh, 15, we get the Dark Orders, uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. So they take out uh, Cassidy, uh, Isaiah Cassidy, um, and then SCU take out Butcher. Daniels takes out uh, from SCU. Uh, Fiend Fenix, uh, Jungle Boy takes out Reynolds. Fenix takes out Silver. It's just back and forth action going on in the ring. It's just getting crazy now. And then we see where uh, you have Jungle Boy taking out Pack. One elimination I did not see happening. Like, oh yeah, they're pushing Jungle Boy to the moon now. All right, so we are left with Phoenix, who wins this thing for Death Triangle, and they're the ones who are now the number one contenders. Phoenix just breaks all crying, like, oh my gosh, we actually did it. They actually let us be, uh, take the Young Bucks for the belts next time, whether it's a double or nothing, or even at the St. Patty's they smashed or having uh, this week on Dynamite. We'll see when it happens. Uh, we get an announcement from uh, the formerly known as Big Show, Paul White, who's teasing the future Hall of Famer a little bit. He says he can outwork anyone. That's a pretty big hint for people who know. I'm just going to leave it there for now. Next match, we got Hikaru Shida 
versus Ryo Mizunami. And before we start, I'm going to take a small commercial break. So stay tuned. We're going to come right back. What's good, everyone? It's the Puerto Rican Powerhouse of Might for Hire, the podcast mercenary Christian Joel Ramos, back at it again with a brand new review. And today we're covering the All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view revolution uh, in March 2021. So let's get this started. Uh, I watched the buy-in before I watched the main event, obviously, and there's a bunch of recaps of everything that was occurring, but essentially it led up to a uh, what was supposed to be Rebel and Brent versus Thunder Rose and Rio for a tag match, but Rebel got hurt in training previously, so she came out in a crutch, and she's like not been medically cleared, and Brent made a big deal about it, like she's a medical professional, and saying, you know, uh, I got the uh, AW doctor to agree, agree with me that she's not medically clear. So guess what? Ergo, she cannot compete. We have a substitute. And who is Brit's substitute? Out of nowhere. No one expected this to happen. Maki Ito, the fired idol. Ito-chan came out and started singing her theme song. And the crowd popped. I'm like, it was such a surprise. Genuine surprise. Because... We just saw the AW Women's Tournament, and we thought the Japan, the Japan bracket happened not that long ago. Meaning, don't they have to like quarantine due to the current pandemic and all that stuff? No, apparently, um, it might have been a pre pre tape, and they probably were here the whole time. That's what I'm assuming. Maybe they were here for the last two weeks, and yes, it was filmed over there. Maybe it happened previously, like a pre tape. You know, somehow they do some of the shows aren't always live live. They just film ahead. So that's what I'm assuming happened. But yeah, it was great to see Ido Chan and. Um, Brit team together, they were pretty good together. I was actually caught off guard because she's very, uh, her Joshi style is very much like tongue in cheek, like she's purposely trolling all of her opponents. That's her style and what she does. Versus uh, Brit, who's also kind of a troll, but she's more menacing heel than jokey heel. So it's great to see them going off each other. And it started off with, uh, I believe, a lockup with a collar and a lockup with Rio and Brit back and forth with Rosa and Maki Ito, and you know, a lot of same usual. Uh, it was a standard wrestling match, nothing uh, obscenely crazy or over the top, except, you know, the Kokeshi, the falling headbutt from Makito is definitely something to see, because she's got, she's known to have a hard-ass head, like she has a big old head, so that's one of her, like, uh, key features about her wrestling style, and from what I've seen from videos on YouTube, she's very much a standard wrestler, meaning that she has a lot of uh, grappling and just knows how to work, but for her character, she's just over the She's like almost like a, you know, J-pop version of Harley Quinn in a way. That's, that's, that's what she looks like to me. Like, she looks very over the top, dressed in a sailor suit, or I think it's a sailor suit, or something of the sort. And she's just there seeing, uh, living <laughs> this diva life she loves of just being this superstar uh, fired uh, idol. So, because she used to be an idol years ago with this troop, and they kicked her out. It's a whole thing. And yeah, it was definitely fun, and it ended up with... Rebel interfering with the crutch as she hit Rosa on the head when the ref wasn't looking, and Britt got the pin one, two, three at the Rosa, and that was that. So, standard match. It had nothing really crazy. It didn't go too long. I'd say it's a good four out of five stars right there off the bat. Very solid match. And yeah, Riho did, Riho did some cool moves. Uh, she, uh, when she was 
fighting Bakshadism cartwheels to like uh, avoid evade attacks from uh, from Brit and um, when it came to Thunder Rosa against uh, Maki. Apparently they had history together. I forgot that they actually had history together in Japan because it's something that it kind of like slipped my mind because I knew about this information, but it didn't come to mind at the moment until after I saw it. So yeah, it was fun. It was definitely something to, to uh, get the, definitely the crowd riled up for the show that's coming. So. From that, we move on to where JR is on commentary, and he sounds horrendous. His voice just sounds like he is definitely sick, or like he's just recovering from uh, laryngitis or something, because his voice does not sound, he does not sound 100%. So I hope he got well soon, get some honey lemon tea in that, because you need your voice for your job, sir. That's that was. I would have just brought in anybody. I would have brought in uh, Shivani or whoever else, Marvez even at that point. Uh, no, okay, maybe not Marvez, but you know what I mean. You would have just gotten a substitute. I know you need JR as the voice of the pay-per-view, but for just for the buying, I would have just said, you know what, sit this one out for a little bit and see if her voice is better in an hour when we get to the actual show or whatnot. And yeah, he powered through it, man, like a soldier. The guy definitely knows he's very much all business, doesn't care. He's going to power through it, and that's his style. And later on, his voice does get better. It just sounded like he just needed some water real bad. <laughs> so... The first match we get is Jericho and MJF uh, versus the Young Bucks for the AEW Tag Belts. This feud, I feel like it's a little bit rushed. When you do a uh, crimson mask on your on the opponent's parent, uh, dad and, and make a big spectacle, this sounds like build-up that should happen in weeks. Not like two weeks, I'm saying weeks, multiple weeks. It wasn't enough builds to, be, to really have the animosity and anger because it didn't feel all that angry. So at that point, I'm like, okay, this is going to be cool and all. I know it's going to be a spot fest because not just because it's the Young Bucks. It's, it's the matter of the what occurred wasn't exactly, um, yeah, what occurred is essentially that it's not even all that, um, it, it happened too quickly for me. I feel like they should have really built this up a little bit more just before you put in a giant pay-per-view because everything else on this card had months of build and this almost came out of the blue like all right what's mjf and jericho doing next oh we're gonna troll the young bucks beat up their dad and get them riled up for the so they're definitely like not focused as we're trying to beat him for the tag builds but it, it was all right i mean i i enjoyed the spots there's, you know, there was animosity at all-time high. Nick and uh, Nick did a double, did like, takedown. Jericho start things off. And Matt with his own on MJF. Uh, they went outside, did outside the ring stuff. Uh, Young Bucks collided outside with the uh, team of Jericho and MJF. So we got back in the ring and back and forth, followed by offense from the Young Bucks again. MJF sets up Nick to get attacked by Wardlow because Wardlow's outside ringside, as always, because he's the muscle uh, the heater of the team, um, Jericho and Jeff mocked the Young Bucks by doing their pose just to troll them, but uh, you get a low bridge by Nick Jackson by to, uh, by Wardlow because he gets thrown out, I believe. Nick has his standard hot tag comeback where he's he's Nick Jackson. This guy's like Spider-Man. This goes around and he just does his thing and he's just in there like swimwear and he's just doing what Nick Jackson does, which is uh, defying gravity, essentially. Uh, so with the comeback, we got MJF with a kick out from, from a destroyer. I, I'm one person who has a complaint about the destroyer becoming something basic. It used to be the most badass looking finisher of all time. And I think the industry has be, turned it into the DDT, where it used to be a crazy finish and, you know, finishing move. And now it's just like done in between matches or your super kicks. Like, I kind of wish the story was treated with a little bit more intensity as far as like this thing will put you out. It is not so much 
a, a setup move. It should be a finisher still. Petey Williams did not make this damn move for it to be a setup. It is the finisher, in my opinion. I, that's just me, though. So, we get a lot of back and forth again with these two teams. MJF is pissed off because he's young and hot-blooded. The commentary made sure to actually talk about that. And does the Billy Gunn suck a chance trolling the Bucks? I don't know why. Because if it was Cody, that would make more sense. Because the Gunn family, I mean the Gun Club, are part of the Nightmare family. So... It just kind of like, okay, they're just trying to troll DX or something. Like, he's saying, suck it, suck it. Like, you know, you can't do it on TV, so you got to do the pay-per-view. I, I don't know. It was just like kind of like lame duck shit. Like, if you're trying to be a heel, at least mock them. But don't use someone else's uh, poses to mock uh, someone else who's not even like, that's not him. That's not the, you know, that's not the uh, the gun club. That isn't Austin, Colton, or Billy. Like, why, do you, why are you even like doing that? I don't know. It, it just threw me off a bit. Uh, Jericho comes out with Floyd, his bat. MJF with a heat seeker. On, I think I was on Nick. Uh, Jericho hits a Judas effect on Wardlow by accident. I didn't see that coming. And oh my gosh, and I don't think Wardlow saw it coming either. <laughs> As he was at ringside trying to distract the ref and he got his ass whooped. Uh, we get a BTE trigger on Jericho by the Bucks. Super kick party at MJF. And then the finisher with a melted driver on Jericho for the win. So they pin Jericho one, two, three. And that sets up a story afterwards where they're like, hey, we're going to have an inner circle war council on Dynamite. I can't wait to see what this leads to, if they're going to break up or not. Obviously, it's been more than a week since the show happened. So on Dynamite, there was that uh, breakup between Jericho and MJF. And that was something to see for sure. So, yeah, that was this match. Uh, I think it was pretty cool because I... It was a lot of spots. Don't get me wrong. But the psychology was not lack thereof because there was. With Jericho, you always think of psychology no matter what because he is a good storyteller in ring. And so is MJF, who's a good, I guess, um, not pupil of Jericho, but I guess you can call protege. There we go. But of course, he was playing his cards right. He was playing the cocky heel who got angry quick because he's young blood and hot blooded. So yeah, it definitely made them seem like, you know, old vet, young guy, not seeing eye to eye. And they ended up losing the tag match and we all know what happened. They ended up breaking up on the next episode of Dynamite, so that's for sure. Next up, we got the Casino Tag Team Royale. This was something different. I love Battle Royales. I'm a huge fan of WWE Royal Rumble. Everyone knows this. I always talk about this in the podcast. So when this happened, I was like, all right, bet. Let's get this started. So we start off with Team 1, the National Nightmares, against Team 2, the Team of the Dark Orders, number 5 and number 10. You know, that team we know of. Uh, good tag team tandem between both teams at first. Just a lot of the usual stuff from both from Natural Nightmares and Dark Order. Nothing uh, out of the ordinary. No, no, no special tricks out of their hats just yet. Uh, number three, we get Proud and Powerful rushing in to get a fence on five. Uh, QT takes out five. There we go. And then the fourth team is the Seidel brothers, Matt and Mike Seidel, and they attack and they go on the attack. They don't even like pose or anything. Just music hits and just speeding in the ring. They're like, all right, so you got, I think it was Matt doing a Meteor and Ortiz and they just, they just throw hands. I don't know how to say it. It just got really, uh, it, it went to 0 100 real quick. Uh, team five is Uno and Stu. Um, then we see Mike Sudell getting taken out by uh, Proud and Powerful. At number six, we get the uh, combination of the gun club of Austin and Colton, the brothers. And they're looking great. I mean, the 
time they're putting in AEW Dark is definitely showing because they did some great drop kicks on Uno and a quick draw on Stu. So that was like, okay, that was like smooth. There wasn't any hiccups there. It was just went in there and they knew what they were going to do. Just go to work. Uh, we get a spear in Austin here who gets taken out. It was blindsided. Matt Settle take, gets taken out like out of the equation. So he's thrown out outside the ring. Uh, team number seven is Avalon and Cesar Bernoni. Peter Avalon and Cesar Bernoni. Uh, this is one of my favorite little teams because they remind me so much of the twins, like movies, twins, like comedy where Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito are like quote unquote twins. They were, um, I don't know, they're separated at birth. I haven't seen the movie in years, but there was, they were essentially twins that one got all the good genes and one got all the bad genes. That's exactly what this team reminds me of. And even Cesar Bernoni uh, retweeted or liked my tweet about that reference and I put a gif on, on it when I was talking about it. So yeah, that was cool to... Uh, a little shout out there um number 18 was varsity blonde then we see austin gunn taking out peter avalon with a famous shirt like his dad's finisher and right there that's pretty cool like shout out colton does a famous search well and says bernoni so we get qt to take some all out apparently his own guys i'm like this setting up some qt heel shit because we know that this is happening from the sammy vlogs and how he's acting a little bit uh indifferent because of how lee johnson big shot elite did not shout him out when his thank yous when he won his first his first match in dynamite and in the back he's there like you know mean mugging like wait a minute you forgot me your trainer really you congrats you thank everyone but me so you got this salty version of qt who's just like i'm out of this and he and what does this lead to? He eliminates himself. He's like, you know what? I'm out. Peace out. Take care, guys. And Dustin looks pissed. Like, what the hell are you doing? Um, so at number nine, we got Bear Country, the big boys from upstate New York. And um, we got Stu getting eliminated by Bear Country right off the bat. Number 10 comes in. We get Jurassic Express. Uh, Jungle Boy eliminates Ortiz. Luchasaurus eliminates Saves Everyone and Griff. Uh, Jungle Boy takes out Santana. We got Uno's eliminated badly. Butcher and Blade, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Brian Pillman Jr. is taken out here, but I didn't write it down. I don't know where it happened. Uno is limited, is limited badly, meaning that Uno was taken out, right? And he was nowhere near the post. He It looked like he literally ran towards the post because he was too far away. Instead of just slipping out, he just almost like cartoonily hit himself in the, with the post and then fall. Like This, kind of, this is like, you know, basic... Uh, wrestling 101 if you're too far away for that you can do the trip fall but just it's too far for the to, it almost looked like he was trying to hit himself like i would have just wiped out right there just do it quick and easy don't make a big show of it because it definitely became a gif of a moment in a bad way like come on you know, you're a pro with this you've been doing this a long time come on now let's let's clean up our our messes here at 11 we got butcher and blade coming in jack evan takes all 10 butcher and blade take out dustin what a, what a twist of events there. Uh, we got Private Party uh, coming in at 12. And they're, they're just taking their sweet time to get the ring. At number 13, SCU. And then we got the Bears taken out by Luchasaurus. Butcher takes up both Bears right after. At 14, we got Death Triangle for, uh, with Pack and Phoenix. They take out Blade and Quint, uh, Quinn, Mark Quinn. There we go. Uh, 15, we get the Dark Orders, uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. So they take out uh, Cassidy, uh, Isaiah Cassidy, um, and then SCU take out Butcher. Daniels takes out uh, from SCU. Uh, Fiend Phoenix, uh, Jungle Boy takes out Reynolds. Phoenix takes out Silver. It's just back and forth action going on in the ring. It's just getting crazy now. And then we see where uh, you have Jungle Boy taking out Pack. 
one elimination I did not see happening. Like, oh yeah, they're pushing Jungle Boy to the moon now. All right, so we are left with Phoenix who wins this thing for Death Triangle, and they're the ones who are now the number one contenders. Phoenix just breaks all crying, like, oh my gosh, we actually did it. They actually let us be, uh, take the Young Bucks for the belts next time, whether it's a double or nothing, or even at the St. Patty's they smashed or having uh, this week on Dynamite. We'll see when it happens. Uh, we get an announcement from uh, the formerly known as Big Show, Paul White, who's teasing the future Hall of Famer a little bit. He says he can outwork anyone. That's a pretty big hint for people who know. I'm just going to leave it there for now. Next match, we got Hikaru Shida versus Ryo Mizunami. And before we start, I'm going to take a small commercial break. So stay tuned. We're going to come right back. And we're right back here. So where do we leave off? We left off with uh, Ikaru Shida, the AEW Women's Champion versus Ryo Mizunami for the AEW Women's Championship. <laughs> kind of redundant what I said there. Uh, we got Ryo who's playing with Shida. She is pretty much not taking her seriously because she made a comment previously to something about of the effects that uh, she doesn't take Shida seriously as a champion, and in a hundred years she'll never get, she'll never beat her you know, talking all that shit, and then, you know, Sheeta's like, alright, I'm gonna show you in this match, so we got Sheeta, who gets in a few chops, so, you know, Rio does her chops, the really, com not comedic, but really, like, showy, like, half-ass chops, where they're, she's not, the first one hits hard, but then it's just, like, a bunch of play ones, that she's like, eh, I'm not even trying to take you seriously, I'm just messing with you right now, so Sheeta gets in her lane, some chops as well, and it leads outside the ring, uh, where we see some fighting, and then it leads to the chair shot, the chair knee that Sheeta normally does, and it got blocked, so I didn't see that coming, because Rio is a big girl, so she definitely grabbed Sheeta like nothing, and threw her like a rag doll, so then we got uh, Sheeta getting tossed to the ringside, and then back in the ring, strong style match, same, same old, same what you expect from this kind of match, a good Joshi strong style match, um, again with the outside ring stuff, crunchy out on, uh, this was good to watch, on, on uh, Rio, who got, it looks almost like Air Raid Crash, but just this, uh, the head is almost like in a pile driver position. I'm not sure how to explain things, okay? So here we got a couple of Tamashis, Shida got on Rio to take her out, and she still got up. Uh, then Rio did a Uranagi on Shida, it's uh, the rock bottom in the States. Uh, to a spear to a leg drop combination and then Sheeta does five tamashis what the hell five of them to take this woman down she still gets up she's like a juggernaut the way they're setting this up you get a coarse screw knee strike from Sheeta, like classic um, karate style kick right to the face a knockout shot and then we get uh, an attack from well she wins Sheeta finally wins this this whole bout was just so much fighting it was uh, i'm glad they gave this woman's match a lot of time to flesh out i'm just giving you the little pinpoints of what i've seen that stood out and it's like between all this is a lot of psychology a lot of back and forth a lot of your standard wrestling moves here and there but these are the big pinpoints i'm pointing out here okay you get an attack from nyla with vicky maki ito brent baker with rebel it's this whole mess uh thunder rosa comes up for the save and then that's the match and after match i guess with the blow off there we go i definitely give this a four to five stars this is a great wrestling match like a standard wrestling match with, of course, some, you know, theatrics and some interruptions and interferences, all that stuff. But it was a great match, nonetheless. 
So yeah, it was good, man. I gotta say, you know, Sheeta does her thing. And so Sheeta does, she's been carrying this belt for a full year and almost a full year, I believe. And she is showing that no one is gonna take her out, no matter who they are. And she finally got to prove her former rival that she can beat her. So here we go where uh, we get Miro and Kip versus Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy. We all know this feud. We all don't really care about this feud as much. I'm kind of over it. It was funny at first, but I hope it's the last of it. Sadly, it's not because it's continuing. I'm like, you gotta be damn kidding me. Okay, whatever. So yes, that's the case right here. It, uh, so yeah, well, it was fun. I mean, it was all right. I'm not even a big fan of this, to be honest. Chuck and Orange Cassidy being interviewed when they get jumped by Miro in the back and Kip. Miro and Kip keep beating the crap out of Chuck and he's already hurt from a glass, he's getting his head smashed in a glass window. Uh, that was pretty crazy to the face, but he really actually gets cut in the arm as people were saying on other podcasts, he didn't get hurt in the face, but so I don't know if he did a play job to show like he got hurt in the face or whatever, but it was something that was like, okay, this is some vintage attitude era shit. Like I love it that they came in to run rough shot on him. Orange Cassidy still uh, not out from a slam in the trunk. Like he on a carrying trunk, like where you transport things, he got some real rough by Kip there. Uh, but he crawls out back, back to the ring and he's hurt. Or is he? Psych? He ain't hurt. And he's got the jump on Miro with an orange punch. And then we see a Tope Suicida out here. Diving DDT. Gunbuster from Kip to Orange so we can get some back and forth here. Miro finally comes around with, or, from the orange punch. Like from selling it. And then we get Beach Break to a stomp. Then Pal Driver for a pin to be broken up by Miro who's darting into the ring again from being taken out. Cassidy, because they're they're doing this on Kip. Cassidy kicks the troll, kicks kicks the troll Miro like little baby kicks that don't really hurt. And then we get Penelope who gets wrecked at ringside by accident. Oops. And uh, Miro accidentally takes her out. Kip goes to see how she's doing. Kip was actually the legal man, so Kiro, uh, Miro grabs him to put him in there and tag him in. That he's tending to his wife, and then he's like, "All right, I'll take care of this match." Miro taps in, takes. Chuck Taylor and taps him out. We get uh, this blow off of we thought it was over between these people, between the best friends and Miro and Kip, but it almost seems like they're not really done with this angle and they're setting up for another bigger angle. So we'll see where it goes in the future. I mean, hopefully the actual final blowout is good because the best friends of the last few feuds have been amazing. And this, this this one has not been my cup of tea. I've been not having much fun with it. I like all the wrestlers in it. I just feel like the uh, fleshing out of story of this is just like, it's dragging way too long. It should have been concluded way sooner. Again, my opinion, I'm not here to comment. I'm not a damn booker. But from an audience member watching this, I'm like, okay, this should have been the last last time they've met up. And yeah, it wasn't. They're going to have another one later on. So I'm like, okay, hopefully that's the last one. We'll see. I'll talk about it soon. This is a 3.5 match. Nothing great. Nothing. I mean, I expected greatness from these guys, and they gave me mediocrity, especially for a pay-per-view. Come on. They, I wish they tried a little harder, or maybe they're working with what they got. That's the way I give people credit. Maybe this is what they were given, and they were spoken to about what to do with spots. There was some excitement, but it just did not feel like something I'd pay pay-per-view to watch. I, I hope that they actually conclude this and really give it their all their next time, but we'll have to wait and see where it goes from here. So... Here we got a segment with Jericho and MJF post-match interview with Marvez. Already spoke about this in the beginning, so let's move on. 
Hangman Page versus Big Money Matt. That's a great feud right there. This is a feud I'm invested in heavily because Matt Hardy is a great worker and a great storyteller. It's like psychology, the uh, little Easter eggs from this whole feud to the back and forth. They show all those segments. So it's a standard matchup, you know, elbow and collar lockup, very good work rate. It leads to a finger manipulation by Hardy because since he's turning big money heel, he's been doing some shady moves and why not? Anything to hurt Hangman's Buckshot Lariat finisher so it's not as strong. So Hardy's working on Adam's hand and his arm for the Buckshot Lariat to be essentially disabled. We're looking here where Matt catches him with a twist of fate count out starts because this was the twist of fate in the outside of the ring and he'll take a count out win because this is for their money for their quarter one earnings they're trying to fight it's a big money match and he ain't he doesn't give a damn how he beats him he just wants to win so he can keep all his money and his earnings from the quarter that he's been shystering everybody backstage like a carny that he is um back in the ring for more to fight uh arihara moonsault from uh onto matt from adam page and yes this is a fancy looking moonsault i just wish he didn't use it as much so it had more like holy shit factor like oh my gosh he just did that yes he does that every time he fights i love it it looks flawless he sometimes lands on his feet most of the time he does land on his feet and it's like this is lit but when you see it, it was like three too many times it's like it should be safe for big fights like this so i hope he kind of holds back on dynamite for a while so like give us back that miss it let's miss the move we shall see and AW is always known to never hold back on big things like this. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. Again, we'll see. So we get, let's see here. Matt catches him with the twit. Yeah, count on starts back in the ring for more fight. Um, BT bomb on Adam Page. Uh, Dead eye on Matt by Private Party that interrupts the ringside. We get the Dark Order. The whole mob of Dark Order shows up for the save and the, yo, you cannot win these odds. Dark Order is an army, a battalion right now. There's no way you're gonna take them out, Matt. So they couldn't get their heel heat in after that loss. So he, Matt took the L and now Adam Page has his, all of his quarter one earnings for the year. Ouch. <laughs> so we get a next matchup, the six man ladder match for the TNT title. And let's see, Max Caster, Lance Archer, Scorpio Sky, Penta Cero Miedo, Cody Rhodes, and Ethan, and the mystery man who we don't know yet, okay? So, Ethan Page shows up as the mystery six-person, former Impact and Beyond Wrestling tag team champ, formerly known of the North, Ethan Page. And I wasn't shocked because he was in my predictions, and I wish I put money on this because I had a feeling it was going to be Ethan Page because when NXT show or WWE show all the people that was that were in NXT this year, like they always do that yearly photo where they're all wearing the property of WWE T-shirts, and he wasn't there, so I knew one of the hottest free agents in the game. If he wasn't in that picture for this year, he's definitely going to go to AEW, and that's Lord behold it, exactly what happened. So we get Ethan versus Scorpio Sky. Penta fights against Max Caster. Cody versus Lance. Just to start things off, Archer grabs the ladder's weapon and just runs rough shot because he's Lance Archer. There is no DQ in these matches. We get a run in from Jack Evans. There's no DQ with the boombox and he gives it to Max to hit somebody. But uh, Ten sees him, who was supposed to be in the match to begin with, but he was uh, interrupted by Matt Hardy, who had his the vendetta on the Dark Order, or was it on Max Caster? I think it might have been the acclaimed who cost him that. That's why he was there, to give him back some of his medicine. 
Death Desserts, Karma, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so let's see, running with the Boombox, he's in Spine Buster, Jack and his ass in the ring. And the uh, stage side, uh, Ethan Page drives the ladder onto Cody's shoulder. They're working Cody's already hurt shoulder from last week, where it was reported he was severely hurt. Uh, we got Caster, who uses his boombox on Scorpio Sky, who's outside, and then to Cody, so he actually gets some offense in with the weapon. Penta gets the backstabber on Ethan Page, that look it hurt, uh, who has Lance Archer pinned under the ladder. So he has his head, like, neck with the ladder there, so he can't move, so he can climb on top of this ladder and get the quote-unquote brass ring that's up on top of the ring. Uh, we get Scorpio, who bites, literally, physically bites Penta. That doesn't look very, uh baby face it looks super heel and fights him off the ladder uh caster gets a power bomb off the ladder on page good god almighty that shit look at her like a motherfucker yeah it looked bad so we get pence and page fight off the ladder cody rushes back with his belt and he whoops ass on he literally whoops ethan page like hey welcome to aw bitch bah! with his big old belt weight belt and this is after the theatrics of cody being hurt i physically thought he was actually hurt because he was reported to hurt but he sold that shit so damn well. I'm like, all right, so he's just a really good seller. I forget this guy's an actual actor now. So, yeah, that's exactly what occurred. He was there selling it on stage. Like, he wasn't even taken backstage, backstage. You kept seeing him on stage. Like, okay, so if Cody's still a shot, then this is definitely a work, not a shoot. Because if it was a real injury, he would just be rushed backstage. But because he's somewhat in the corner where he could still see his, what his new gear is, like crimson red and, and white uh, tights, which look phenomenal. Definitely toyetic. He's there with Arn and Doc Samson, the whole AW staff, Jerry Lynn, all of them just trying to see if he's even able to compete still. So that's, there's that. Uh, let's see, let's see. So when he does that, we get Archer who gets Cody with a superplex off the ladder. That shit definitely hurt. Max Caster with a big elbow drop, the, the mic drop on Cody's back. After all this, he's taken, he's taking bumps left and right. We get a blackout to Caster on the ladder. He's out for good right there. Page gets Archer with the Eagle's Edge. Mind you, the Eagle's Edge is like the bad luck fall. It's similar to the Razor's Edge, except instead of bringing them down, you just dart throw them. And the fact that Ethan Page, who probably weighs no more than 220 now, like after all the weight loss, this man must have some strength because good God, he picked up Archer like he was a damn lightweight and darted him like, yo, Paige has been hitting the weights for real. Like, God dang. Like, you know, when you've been out for two months, not wrestling, I guess you can, we're focused on getting yoked and more power. And yeah, Ethan Page had something to prove. He's like, I'm going to put Archer in my finisher, not on the second rope from the freaking floor. And he did it. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. Paige is definitely showing off right now. We got Jake the Snake in there who gets... Uh, Ethan Page with a short arm clothesline and then he can't breathe because he takes a super kick from the <laughs> Penta. So Roberts is ringside just like <laughs> heavy breathing because he can't. He's like, all right, I've done too much exercise for one day. Uh, and at the end, we get Scorpio Sky who wins it all. He gets the brass ring. He is now the face of the revolution. And congrats to Scorpio Sky who's now going to fight Darby Allen for the TNT title. Now we're going to take a small commercial break once more. It's the last one, and then we'll be right back for two main event fights. Stay tuned. 